This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Okay, we started speaking about something last week, and I want to continue with that frame and go a little bit deeper with it um, today. And so um, what I want to speak about today is how do I walk with God? How do I walk with God? How do I connect to God? How, how do I speak to God? How do I hear God's voice? How do I position myself so that I allow God to have influence in me and in my situation? You, people talk a lot about the things of God and who God is and how wonderful God is and what God wants to do in your life. And those are all true. The thing is, the biggest challenge for a lot of people is they're not realizing that and they don't exactly know why. And so I want to get quite practical today. And so because of that, we're going to get a little bit of tread going. Okay, so we're going to dig a little bit deeper than we normally do. But it's a good thing, I promise you, because you're all completely capable and able. And so don't worry about it. It's it's all good. And if anybody doesn't understand at any point, just wave your hand and we'll do a quick revision. One of the most important verses that we read last week was understanding the difference between the written word of God and the living word of God. The written words of God and the living word of God, which is the Logos. Too many people think that the written word of God is the living word of God. They're completely different things. In John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The word used there is the Logos. So basically what it's saying is, In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. In the beginning was the Logos. I've got that. Keep going. The Logos was in the beginning with God. All things were created through the Logos, and without the Logos was nothing created that was created. What it's saying is this. The Logos is not the written words of God. The Logos is the living word of God, which is Jesus. If you go and read the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it actually say that it is the Logos. It speaks about the fact that The Logos exists. It gives us direction to the Logos. It's the the written words of God are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are the Holy Scriptures. They, They are the inerrant word of God, but they are not the Logos. The Logos is Jesus. Jesus was the one who is the creator. So every time we talk about the Logos, we are talking about Jesus. In the concept and the context of who Jesus is, it's important to understand what he's all about. We talk about the power of creation and the power to be able to sustain all things. That is who the Logos is. It's not the written words on the page. It's the living word of God. It is Jesus. just stick me with, stick with me with these things. I'm going to throw a few variables into the pot, but it's important that you remember these because eventually you're going to hit that moment where you sit and go, Oh, now it all makes sense to me. Now I get it. So you just accumulate on the journey. Okay. The logos, the logos, the written word of God. It is what's so wonderful about it is that he is alive and he wants to have relationship with us. Let me just narrow this down. Okay. God wants to connect with you more than you want to connect with God. God did everything that he could to connect with you. And he's still busy working whatever situations and circumstances he can to connect with you and and to to, to get into a situation where he has relationship with you. 
Many people, part of the challenge that we have is because we confuse the words of God for the Logos, the living word of God, find that they've Christianity is frustrating for them because what they do is they end up spending all of their time studying the word to gain knowledge as opposed to investing in relationship with the word. They are two completely different things. Both are necessary, but the problem with it is too many people don't understand and invest in relationship. They're investing in knowledge. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, it says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you find eternal life. And these are those that testify of me. So it's a good thing. Get into the scriptures because they testify of me. They're telling you about God. They're telling you about how he works. They're telling you all about who he is as a person. They're giving you a grid for the way that he operates. They're telling you about the history. They're telling you about the, the, what was proposed and what he wants to do in your life. All of those things are, are absolutely right and it gives us a solid understanding of who he is. But unless you come to him, you never have life. The words are important, but the word is more important. You can have the words of God. You can have the written words of God. But unless you have the word of God, the Logos, the creator and the sustainer of all things, unless you connect with God himself, the problem with it is I have a very barren Christianity. Are you with me this morning? Okay, you have to stick on track here. Just shout something, even if it's nothing, it doesn't matter, because then I just know that you're awake, okay? <laughs> Jesus did something so interesting, because Jesus was the word revealed. And the funny thing about it was, Jesus, in his ministry, he went throughout his entire ministry, and there was no miracle. There was no miracle. He, he went through his entire life and there was no miracle until he went and he got baptized. And the moment that he got baptized, what he ended up doing was he went into the temple and the first thing he said was, give me the scrolls. And he took the scrolls and he began to read. And he, the scrolls of the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah who was coming. And he gave context to what he was reading because he didn't talk about a God out there. He put it in the context of himself. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And then he goes on to what the good news is. What he was saying was this, everything that I know about God, even though I am the word made flesh, the thing about it is I need to wait until the power of God comes upon me. Because when the power of God comes upon me, all of a sudden I can walk in partnership with God. And walking in partnership with God, knowing who he is and knowing what he's all about, understanding what his plans and his purposes are, I don't have to fulfill what is God's plan. What I can do is I walk in relationship with him. And so I come to him and I sit and say, you promised this. Talk to me about it. Tell me about my situations. I trust him to work in those situations, but I don't do what God does. But God's looking for me to trust in him. It's a mutual relationship between the two. There's an ebb and a flow that's happening in that space where I'm learning all this time. In the Old Testament, it gives us a very artificial view of what our Christianity is. Why? Because in the Old Testament, they never had the life of Christ living on the inside of them, what they always spoke about and what they looked forward to, what the kings and the prophets and the priests and all the studious people, what they looked forward to is the day when the new covenant would arrive. Why? Because in the Old Testament, I never had ongoing relationship with God. I waited for him to come into my life. 
Let me give you a context. When we read about Abraham, every page is about God and Abraham, God and Abraham. Do you know that from the moment that God spoke to Abraham and said, you're going to have a son, until the son was born, which was 20 years later. Do you know in a 20-year span, God met with him three times? Three times. Imagine if you only interacted with God three times in 20 years. They looked forward to the day. Because when God made an appearance to people in the Old Testament, he never lived within them. I had to wait for him to come and to meet with me. Yes, it was pronounced. But the reason that the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant is because the new covenant speaks about something called incarnational reality. It's a big term, but what it really means is this. God came to live in me. Every day, in every situation, in every circumstance, from the moment you wake up in the morning, through everything that you go through, through your entire day, he is there with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How much time do you give him? Do you know how to connect with him? When you're going through the challenges of life and you need the wisdom to handle stuff, how many times do you default to him and sit and say, speak, I need you in this place. Talk to me. I need your comfort. I need your direction. We sang this morning about who God is and the different names of God. That is who resides on the inside of you. And every time you need something from him, every time you're wanting his influence in a space, you have the ability to connect with him. They never had that in the Old Testament. They look forward to the day when Jesus said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. When you step into the new covenant, what ends up happening is the spirit of the Lord is within me and he lives within me and his power within me anoints me to walk out his will, his plans and his purposes. We have the ability to live with him. In the most phenomenal way. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the power, that, sorry, that the um, surpassing greatness, I had another one. That's good enough. The surpassing greatness of the power of God will be of him and not of me. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You have a treasure on the inside of you. You know what it is? The spirit of Christ. He not only made you new, but he put himself inside of you. You have a treasure on the inside of you. The treasure is waiting to be discovered. The treasure is the greatness. It's, it's the um, extraordinary power that resides on the inside of us. The power is not of you. The power is of him. He's looking for us to walk in relationship with him. He's looking for us to be intimate with him. He's looking for us to get to the place where we allow him to have influence in his life, in our lives. Understand this. Power comes with a will and a purpose of its own. The power, the treasure that's on the inside of you has a will and a purpose of its own. What it means is this, the power is not there at my beck and call. The power is there with a will and a purpose of its own. I know I don't do the things that I want to do. I only do the things that the Father tells me to do. It has a will. It is the Father in me that does the works. I do not do the works. Why? Because it's his power. His power has a will and his power has a purpose. 
My responsibility is to get to the place where I allow his power to have influence in my life and to shift and to change my perspectives, my view, my desires, my appetites, so that who I am begins to conform to who he is. And all of a sudden, what I end up doing is I conform my life and I conform conform who I am, the way that I see people, my expectations from circumstances and situations to the power that's resident inside of me. And then I live in that place where it's no longer I who does the works, but it is the one on the inside of me. He's given me direction. He's shown me what he wants to do. And Father, I want to thank you that in the place of weakness, where you, where I see what it is that you're wanting to do, I can't do it, but you can. Here's the key to weakness. When you're weak, God doesn't make you strong to do it. When you are weak is the key to releasing power. Power works through weakness. It doesn't work to make you strong. His power works through my weakness. Anytime you feel, God, I can't do this. He's saying, that's right. You're getting close to the spigot. Get to that point where you can turn it on. Because you know what? I work through weakness. He doesn't work to make you strong so I can do it. Too much Christianity is about me and we don't recognize it because the, 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 the water is so murky in that place. We think God enables me to do it. He doesn't enable you to do it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the power is of him and not of me. He's going to do some stuff through us, but he wants us to get to the place where we surrender our lives to the power and to the will of the power and to the influence of the power. And we walk out of relationship with the greater one on the inside of me. Your weakness is a wonderful place. You can't get there artificially. Don't pretend that you're weak. He knows. What he's trying to get you to do is he's trying to get you to a place where you recognize I have influence in certain areas, but I have limitations to what I can do. And where I, when I step, start stepping beyond myself into the realm of faith, I start re- walking into God's arena. And when I walk into God's arena, I'm walking into that space because I'm not capable of doing it. But I'm trusting you, Father, in this place because I know what your word is said. I know what you've given me. I know your promises. And I thank you, Father, that you'll be there to fulfill it. Your weakness is a good place. If you're looking to partner with God, get comfortable with weakness. Why? Because it's a good place where we walk in partnership. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am weak, he is strong. Second Corinthians chapter, um, I was going to do another one, 6 verse 16. The, the second part of this verse, 16, uh, says, you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. And I will be their God and you will be their pe- and, and you will be my people. You, if you got born again, you're the temple of the living God. It's another way of sitting saying, the treasure is within you. You know why it's a temple and not a building? Because a temple houses the sacred. It houses the divine. You are a temple. You're not a building. You house the divine. He wants us to come to a place where the way that we define ourselves and who we are and the way that we live our lives is that he is my God. And I am his person. He is my God and I am his person. 
It's another way of expressing relationship and the importance and the value that comes out of the two becoming one and walking together. I like gadgets. You know what the worst part of gadgets is? The directions. Nobody likes directions. Everybody likes the gadget. It's like the minute you, I got one of these things because I, I, my sweaters and my everything start pilling. And so then I, I got this little gadget so you can take it and you turn it on and it's like, it just eats up all little fuzzballs and everything looks lovely and you, it's a gadget. I don't even want to read the directions. I want to know how it works. I don't want to know the different heads. I don't want to know how to clean. I don't, I don't want to know anything. It's just, I got the toy. I want to go and play with the toy. Right? It's like all men. Men are like that, especially when it comes to directions. We'll find the way. But you've never been there before. It doesn't matter. I know. It's just it's this direction. We're going east. <laughs> we always love the gadgets, but nobody likes the directions. Ooh, who wants to sit and read the directions? But the directions are so important because when you read the directions, all of a sudden you understand how to use the little gadget like you've never used it before. Every time you use the gadget, you begin to understand that it's like, I didn't know it could do that. And when, you, when, there's, when the gadget stops working, you suddenly realize, you know why it's not working? Because it's full and needs to be emptied. But I didn't know that because I didn't read the directions. I want to get into some directions today. And so I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with some stuff because it's easy to talk about how wonderful the gadget is and how the gadget does all of these things. But sometimes we've got to get into the directions a little bit because the directions are really important. And I believe that in going through the directions, what they're going to do is they're going to illuminate some stuff for us. The reason I want to do that is it's not possible for me to talk to you in a meaningful way about how to walk with God unless I get into the directions. I can sit and speak to you about all the benefits and I can get everybody excited and clapping on their seat, which is wonderful. But the thing is, you want to know how do I do this? You've been created in such a way that you can do it and you are designed to do it. And so I have to take you through the directions a little bit. Is that okay? I promise, I'm, I promise you I'm not going to get heavy. And if I do, it's just like you can sit and say, say something. I don't know. <laughs> say, wow, explain that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We talk about Genesis all the time. I like to talk about Genesis. Do you know why? Because people, too many people don't know who God is. And the problem is they try to understand God through the circumstances of their life. And so the, the circumstances of our life are, are very muddy and murky at best. And so too many people come up with a different way of defining who God is. If you really want to know who God is and you really want to know what the original design was, go back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Because when you get into the book of, the beginning, of beginnings, it'll show you all of those things. Now, when we talk about Genesis 1 verse 26, our natural disposition and the way that we normally look at it is that we look at it through the context of God, uh, sorry, of man, God, God creating man. So we look at it as man and what man was all about. Um, but I don't want to do that today. Actually, I want to take a slightly different bent and I want to have a look at God as the subject of this. So it says something really interesting. And if we're having a look at trying to understand God and what he's all about, I, I, I think this will be helpful, helpful for us. Verse 26 says, and God said, and God said, 
right there. Stop for a minute and think about what does that mean and what can we infer about God, the fact that God said something. In order to be able to say something means that you have to have cognition. You have to have rational ability. You must have been able to think about something. Something has been considered on the inside of you. You've generated some idea, some thought. There's some thinking capacity on the inside of you. All of these things are things that, God, that must have been going on with God. God generated something and he had an idea that was developed as a result of this and he wanted to share the idea. So he said it means he has thought and thinking and rationality and consideration. And once he had used all of that stuff, he generated some ideas. And he said, fine, not only do I have these ideas and do I want to keep them to myself, but I want to share them. So he said, language is one of the most complex things. Language is incredibly complex. To be able to take certain enunciations and to be able to put them together in a way so that that utterance effectively in combination is able to take an idea and communicate it in a way so that another being is able to take the interpretation of that and receive the same idea that you've just shared with them. He spoke. He spoke. I don't know what he spoke. I don't know what language he spoke. I don't know how he spoke. But it says he spoke. He took an idea that he had and he said, I want somebody else to know about this. Who was he speaking to? No, he wasn't speaking to you. You weren't created yet. <laughs> he was speaking. Speaking to the Trinity. Speaking to the Trinity. Speaking to the Trinity. What is he saying? I got an idea. Hey, guys, listen, I've got an idea. So here it comes. So we have a God who's rational, who has thought, who has ideas. And who wants to share those ideas and takes those ideas and uses communication to be able to effectively share that idea with somebody else. We can relate to that. We like that, aren't we? We like that as people. We like to think about stuff. We're always thinking about stuff. The biggest problem with me when I go to bed at night is I can't stop thinking about stuff. And I'm trying to sleep and my thinking is carrying on. But I'm thinking and I'm considering and I'm coming up with ideas and I'm coming up with thoughts. And I roll over and I wake Sarah up and I say, I've got to tell you something. And Gavin said, and she said, shut up, I'm sleeping. <laughs> But I wanted to share with her. So I'm trying to take my ideas and my thoughts and I'm trying to share them with her. I'm sharing thoughts and ideas with you today. We can relate to that. We people. We're very much like that. In the beginning. So God said, let us make. He was creative. If you want to make something, you better have a plan. You want to make a cake? Get a recipe. You want to build a house? Get the blueprints. Yeah. Nobody suddenly goes, let's make a thing. I don't know what. I don't know where. Don't know what it looks like. Don't know what it'll be. Don't know where it comes from. Bang, just be. <laughs> he made a plan. He thought about it. He considered it. And he put in place a creation that came out of something that was creative on the inside of him. It was considered. He thought about it, and then he made it. 
I knew you before I formed you in the womb. You know what it says? I thought about you. I had a plan for you. And I geared you up for the plan that I have for you. I made you the way that I wanted you to be because you never just popped out of nowhere for no reason. I put that together because the thing is, I had a plan. His plan took form and manifested itself. All of creation came out of the power of the creator, the Logos. All of creation is sustained through the power of the Logos. Everything that happens with God in the context of our life is going to come through the creator and sustainer of life. He came up with a plan and he created not only the earth and the light and the animals and the trees and the skies and the universe. He created you and me. And each of us is unique. He knows you. So he knows how many hairs you have on your head. Bet you you don't. He does. That's how intimately he knows each one of us. But we like that. We can relate to that. We like to be like that. I don't know what your expression of that might be. It may be in business. It may be in gardening. It may be in creativity. It may be, I don't know. But we like that. As people, we can relate to that. We like to make plans for vacations. For, we plan things out. We think about things before we step in and we make them happen. God did all of these things, things that we can relate to. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, but it's not good that man should be alone. I will help for him. I'll make for him a helpmeet. Do you know what he's saying? <sighs> Built inside of you is the capacity to feel. But you can't feel alone. I've got to give you something so that you know what love is. Because unless you can express love, you will never receive love. You never know love in isolation. Let me create something for you so you know what it is to feel. You know what it is to be alive. You know what it is to have on the inside of you something that's living and vibrant and passionate. We can relate to that. We're a lot like that. Sometimes we're too much like that. The point is this. We can relate to all of these aspects of God because we are so much like that. God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Our likeness to God is interesting because God is spirit. Stick with me. Stick with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere. This is really important. God is spirit. So he has all of these capacities and all of these abilities as a spirit. He lives and operates in the spirit realm. Ah, interesting. So when he created man, 
He created man as a spirit. Now, the interesting thing about it is this. When we look at God, because he's spirit, we understand that he has no natural form, right? Man has natural form because man spiritually was put into the dust of the earth, which formed a body, right? God does not have a body. A body has all of its organs, liver, heart, kidneys, lungs, brain. Okay, God, God does not have a brain because brain is of the dust. So how does God work so that he, he has this ability and this capacity to be able to think, to create, and to make, and to consider, and to think, and to generate ideas, and to come to a place where he feels things, and yet he doesn't have a brain? You know why? Because he has a mind. Mind in spiritual context is the same as brain in physical context. I know. Just stick with me a little bit because I'm going to show you how you connect with God. Romans chapter 11, verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What's important to know is this. God does not have a brain. God has a mind. And God's capacity as a, as a, as a being that has a mind is he can do all of those things. When he created man, we are created as a spirit. If you go back to, ah, oh, hold on, let me just see what I need to get through here because there, there are a couple of things that I want to do. Okay. So, this is the important point. When God created you, God created you as a spirit being. He created you as a spirit being. As a spirit being, you have a mind. Okay? You have a mind. He, God, when he took us and he created us, he took spirit and he breathed into flesh and man became a living soul. So man is made up of two things. He's made up of flesh and he's made up of spirit. He's made up of a brain and he has the mind of Christ. This is the important thing. Part of the reason so many people struggle to connect with God is because what ends up happening is the brain is an organ and it's of the flesh. So what I end up doing is I'm wanting to engage God from my flesh and God says, I, don't, I can't engage you from your flesh. I'm trying to engage you from your heart, from your spirit, from your mind. That's why very often when we talk about the fact that if you want to connect with God, what do you do? Close the world out. What do we do? I'm closing out the natural realm. I'm getting outside of my brain and I'm dropping down to my spirit realm. And I'm getting to a place where I'm sitting saying, hold on a second. I don't need the distractions of what's happening around me right now. The hardest place to actually connect with God is when there's so much stuff happening on around, uh, all around us. 
Why? Because my brain is engaged if all the stuff that's going on. My brain is watching the people and my brain is listening to what's coming in and my brain is assessing all of the inputs that are coming and my brain is generating knowledge and my brain is connected to how I'm feeling about stuff and my body's speaking to it and saying I'm, I'm uncomfortable and all of this stuff is happening in the physical realm and I'm not able to get outside of that and get down into my spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says God's spirit connects with our spirit. What it's saying is God's spirit affirms that you are a child of God. How does he do it? Spirit to spirit. Spirit to spirit. One of the biggest challenges that we have in connecting with God is that we try to do it through our brain and not our mind. We try to do it through our flesh and through no, and not through the spirit. So what ends up happening is it's one of the biggest deceptions in Christianity. Because I'm dealing with the word of God, because I'm dealing with truth, I think that I'm being spiritual, but I'm not. I'm dealing with it through my brain as opposed to my mind. I'm dealing with, with it through the flesh as opposed to the spirit. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. It's really good and it's really valuable because it teaches you about the ways of God and who God is and what he's all about. But unless it leads you to the living word, there's no fulfillment in it. The point is this, God created us as natural beings, but in a natural capacity, we operate physically with the natural world. And that includes with the things of God. We can deal with the things of God through the flesh as opposed to the spirit. But the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. The invitation is always to step outside of the flesh and to step outside of my brain functioning, my rational, my reason, my understanding, and my knowledge, and to connect with the spiritual side that's on the inside of me. God is spirit, and his capacity in that, in that realm extends to doing everything that we look at, everything that we want to, everything that we want to be like. And what he's saying is, if you want to relate to me in that arena, let's do it spirit to spirit. Let's do it spirit to spirit. Anytime we try to do it from this perspective, we end up in trouble. So many Christians try to live their Christianity from their flesh as opposed to their spirit. And they don't recognize it because they think I'm getting into the word of God and I'm reading the word of God really and I'm listening to tapes and I'm listening to all of this stuff and I hear all of this stuff going on and I don't really understand why my spirituality is so dry. It's because I'm doing it all in the flesh and I've never got to the place where I balance my studying with prayer. Study is good. Because study teaches you the ways of God. But if you only live with the knowledge of God and you never connect with the person of God, you never receive the fulfillment and the life. Everything that you know about God could be 100% true. But the only way that you're going to realize it is through him. The only way that you get to realize it is through him. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That God came and resides on the inside of us but we never give it credit. I'm living here in my flesh and I'm reading all of this stuff and I have all of this knowledge and I have all of this understanding, but I have no connection. You want to know practically how you get connected with God? Get quiet. Get out of the rat race and there are times at night, early in the morning, that's why those are some of the best times because everybody's asleep. What you do is you go and you sit and say, fine, close your eyes. I'll tell you why. Because anytime your senses are in operation, they're feeding your brain. 
You, you start doing this with stuff. Start feeling stuff. Start tasting stuff. What ends up happening? It, you, your brain's always working. What does it taste like? What does it feel like? Ooh, it, it, it's fine. It's designed to do that. But if you want to get spiritual, you want to, clo- you want to close down all of this and step outside of that and get down deep on the inside of you where God is. So what you want to do is get to a place, get comfortable. Close your eyes and take a minute. And stop getting out of, and get out of this head and what's happening there and begin to move down and realize that when God created you, he created you as a spirit being. I thank you, Father, that I am a spirit in a body. And I want to thank you that I connect with you spirit to spirit. And in that place right now, I begin to explore. Take something to God. All the stuff that you've been reading about and that you know in your head, go and ask him a question about it. You want to know what's going on in your life? Go and ask him. I find one of the best ways to interact with God is ask him a question. Don't sit there with a mouthful of teeth. Now, I I mean that in all sincerity. I'll tell you why. Because sometimes we think God's going to jump out of nowhere and tell me something. And so what happens is it's like, okay, let me get out of my head. Let me get into my heart. Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? And I'm waiting and nothing. It's kind of like if you sat down to a lovely romantic dinner with your wife and you sat down and looked at her and she looked at you. And it's like, you're going to say something? (laughs) Ask her a question. Get the conversation going. Get quiet. Sit there. Father, this is tough. I don't really know what's going on here. You don't have to have the answers. Don't try and get spiritual with God. I promise it doesn't work. Okay? Just be real with him. And it's okay. If you're fearful about stuff, if you're anxious about it, go and tell him. Tell him what you're feeling. It doesn't mean it's, oh, I'm not a person of faith. It means you're real. What you're saying is, God, I don't want this, and so I'm looking for the great exchange. I'm looking for you to give me something in this place because you know what? This is really what's going on right now. And wait for him to respond. I don't know how he's going to respond to you, but I suspect it may be like this. You're going to feel something on the inside of you, which is going to be like an inclination. It's going to give you a, it's your conscience at work. Have you ever been doing something or said something and all of a sudden you feel something on the inside, go, you shouldn't have done that? Okay, that's God. That's God. Okay, he didn't come out with a big booming voice saying, thou shalt not do this. So what I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to get sensitive to the promptings that are alive on the inside of me. Because he deals with me gently and he waits for me to be sensitive to it. But if I'm so busy running with my own agenda and my own thoughts, I don't balance my life so that I allow influence from the space. Anytime I get a check down here, don't go running forward with stuff. Stop for a minute because it's giving you a cue. Something's not right. The opportunity that we have is to live out of relationship with God. What a rare privilege. Isn't that wonderful? He wants for you to get to know him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not with what your thoughts. This might be a starting place. And it's good. 
But relating to him is better. Relating to him is better. Um, let me see if I wanted to tell you anything else about that. Oh, yes, I did. This is so good. I found this and I find this so interesting because you can extrapolate all kinds of stuff and you realize some things. But you know what's so interesting? Because we are spirit and we are mind, okay, what ends up happening is your spirit and your mind live in the context of your body. And I'll speak about that in a minute. And you, they operate as one. And so your life experience and what you go through, all of that stuff cumulatively is affecting who you are. You are spirit. You're not brain. Brain is an organ. You are spirit. Who is it affecting? It's affecting my mind. It's influencing my mind. Now, I'll prove it to you. See, you've got to have proof, right? Luke chapter 16. It tells a story about the rich ruler and Lazarus. And they died. And it tells a story about how they died and they went off. So they are no longer in their body. The minute you die, spirit comes out and goes into spirit realm. Okay? So now we have spirit here. We have the rich ruler's spirit and Lazarus's spirit. Now it's so interesting because it speaks about the interaction. You can talk after, the, after you've died. Let's look at what happened. Lazarus was there, the ruler was there, and the ruler started to speak. And he was like, I don't like where I am. He recognized the place that he was. And he was like, I hate this. This is torment. This is torture. This is dreadful. Can you send Lazarus to come and put just a little drop of water on my tongue? He could see them, and they could see him. But they were separated. This is giving us some pictures of spirit, spirit realm, and what happens in that context. When they died and went off into eternity, they never forgot who they were. They remembered who they were. They had context about self. They were able to feel. He experienced stuff. He had recognition. He saw Lazarus and recognized him. Our capacity for all of these things exists as a spirit being. We think sometimes it's just natural, and when we die, all of that stuff passes away. And what it seems to show to us is this. As a spirit being, who I am lives on, which means who I am is not flesh. Because if it was flesh, it would be in the ground at that point. So who I am is carrying on. Who are you? Who are you? I am mind, my capacity. When you, who is a person? A person is what makes them unique. It's not the fact that they have flesh on. What makes them unique is the result of what they believe, who they are, how that belief expresses them, itself in terms of their, their disposition as a person, their actions and their behaviors as a person, the language that comes out of their mouth, the way that they live and they behave and they move. And those, all of those things define an individual. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from the brain. It comes from the mind. I, I'm go, let me go somewhere with this because it, it creates some complexity for us. So in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says something very interesting. 
So God says, you know what? I want to create man in our image after our likeness. And the reason I want to do that is because I want to be able to relate to him and I want him to be able to relate to me. And so the spiritual capacity of man, the spiritual part to man is the part that I relate to. The spiritual part to man is really important. It's the spiritual part to man that is going to be in my likeness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a realm for him to live in. It's going to be a natural realm. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to build for him an earth suit that he can live in. And so I'm going to make this of dust. It's, we're going to call it flesh, but it's going to be made of dust. But that's really not what the person's all about. What the person's going to be all about is I'm going to take who that person is as a spirit and I'm going to blow it into flesh. And flesh is going to become something that's alive. Man is made up of two parts, spirit and body. Okay, now just listen to me. I was taught my whole life that we are three parts, body, soul, and spirit. I, I know the teaching about it. I hear all about it. I've come to the place where I don't actually think that. And I'm going to show you scripturally why I don't think that, because I don't think it supports that picture. But it's up to you. If you want to think that, that's okay. I don't mind. Just take the scripture. You go and get with the Holy Spirit and whatever he tells you is this. All I ask is this. Just don't jump up and try and, you know, protect, the, protect your sacred cow. Just hear, just hear for a minute what I'm saying. And if scripture supports it, not my opinion, you go to the Holy Spirit and see what he says to you. Is that fair enough? Okay. We're all more mature enough to do that. Okay. So God breathes. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. God breathes into man the breath of life. And man became a living? Oh my gosh! I was taught my whole life that man was body, soul, and spirit. He was made up of three different components. That's not what it says. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says God breathed spirit into body and he became a living soul. Let me, let me give you an analogy that'll help you. If you take water and you take dirt and you mix the two together, you end up with mud. When you take spirit and you take flesh and you mix the two together, you end up with a living soul. Living soul is what is created when you have the living components of spirit inside the context of body. It's a living soul. Some of your, some of your versions may speak about it as being a being a person, oh my gosh, a being is being created. Something that is a unique creation that has both spirit in it, its capacity to relate to the spirit world and everything in the spirit world and to relate to God and flesh. Everything that is necessary in order to understand and walk through and have an experience and an encounter with the natural realm. The two become the living soul. Oh my goodness. This is what's so interesting about it. Although we can take different parts to it and dissect it and have a look at it from different perspectives, ultimately the, God, uh, uh, ultimately the Bible and God looks at it as a complete unit. It looks at it more completely than anything. Why? Because I don't operate with one part of me independently of the other. Let me give you an example. So I decide that I walk in to the house and while I'm walking along, I just get in the door. It's been a heavy day and I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and sitting right at the entrance is a black and white cookie. Sarah's favorite 
It's not mine. But I think, you know what? I deserve it. So I take it and I break it in half and I eat half of it. And a little while later, Sarah comes in and she's like, um, who took my cookie? Not me! I just lied. If you lie, it's a sin. I know, I don't care what the world says. It just, it is. It is what it is. You lie, it's a sin. Go and read the Bible. That's pretty elementary. <laughs> the point I'm making is this. If you sin, who sinned? Did my body operate independently of me? I don't know how that happened, Sarah. I never intended to, but my body just did its own thing. <laughs> no, if you sin, you sin as a collective whole. Every part of me was engaged in that. I never had my body do some stuff that I wasn't participating in that I never sanctioned. We live as a complete whole. As a living soul, we live as a complete entity. We live as mud. When you love, how do you love? Love is an expression of the heart, but it is an affection, but it is an expression of your being. I feel love for Sarah. I feel deeply for her. I feel compassion for her. I feel deep, deep senses of, of respect. And, and there's a side to me that's like, I can't take that anymore. I just, when I see her, I just have to go and give her a hug. Why? Because my whole being is involved in it. I don't end up with love living in my heart, but my, my body's like, well, I'm not participating in that. Some people sit and claim their flesh does a whole bunch of stuff and their heart wasn't in it, but that's another story. <laughs> you don't separate the two. I operate as a complete unit, spirit and body. So if we look at something like that, um, I want to have a look at, ooh, where is it? 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord. You know what he's saying? This is what I believe he's saying. He's talking about your complete being. What he's saying is this, I have made provision for you to walk into the fullness of life that I've prepared for you. And it affects three areas of your life. Number one, spirit. Unless you get born again, you don't have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. The moment that I begin, I get born again, I become a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become brand new. I become a brand new creation. Body is a completely different experience because body is going to have a mind of its own, and I'll speak about that in a minute, and a will of its own. But ultimately, although it is outside of God's law and has a nature of its own and wants to do its own thing, I have been given authority over that. Body spirit and then he speaks about soul why does he speak about soul because you know what spirit is one thing and what god does with the spirit is independent of i'll tell you now what soul is but he also what what happens with flesh is independent of soul what is soul your mind i become a brand new creation in christ his life comes and dwells on the inside of me soul what manages the union between flesh and spirit? I do. 
I do my mind. That's why the very first thing God says after you get born again, he says, renew your mind. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that something happened because we were created as mud. The problem is we were a mud being when we were born. I can't separate spirit and body. The problem is when I was born, mud never had the influence of God in it. So spirit and body is operating in this place, but there's no influence of God. What is the number one question everybody has? Who am I? Who am I? Tell me. The problem with it is God wasn't in the picture. So where, do I, where does mind who spirit go to find out who they are? The only avenue I have, the flesh. Let's go to the brain. Tell me. So I listen to what everybody has to say. I see different things. I watch my engagement in different environments and I get feedback on that. I listen to my body who's always giving me feedback. That feels makes me sad. That makes me happy. Where's it all going? To my brain. What's happening with my brain? It's feeding my mind, feeding my mind, but there's no balance to it. So what ends up happening is I end up in a place where my mind has been completely defined by the flesh, by the flesh world. Why? Because God wasn't in the picture. Spirit and body are in complete union with one another. The sin nature is happy. It's complete. The two walk as one. But something odd happens when I get born again. Because when I get born again, all of a sudden, God's nature comes on the inside of me. And when God's nature comes on the inside of me, it starts to create a little bit of a disruption for me. Because what God wants to do in my life is the complete antithesis to sin. And so what ends up happening is, let me read it from Hebrews chapter 4 because it's, I, I think I can do a better job of it from that. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, verse 17. The word of God, the word of God is not the words of God. It is the Logos, the creator, the power to create and sustain. When the power to create and sustain is living and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. What it's saying is this. When I'm operating as mud, spirit and body, I'm in complete union with all of that stuff. I know it's good. The, the two of us, are, we're, we're okay. But God says, you know what? I've got a plan for you. And I want to come into that mix. And I want you to participate in my life for you. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and I'm going to make you a brand new creation. The word of God, the spirit of God is sharper than two-edged sword. Nothing can divide mud. It's mud. It's water and it's dirt. Nothing can divide it except the word of God. What happens with the word of God? It comes into that space and it says, that's flesh, that's flesh, that's going to be spirit because I created a brand new creation in Christ. All of a sudden, that dirt isn't defined by that anymore. It's defined by something brand new. It has my nature on the inside of it. All of a sudden, I start to get definition about the fact that I'm not just a unique being that is completely at the whim of my flesh. Suddenly, I'm able to define between my flesh and something else. All of a sudden, I have a point of comparison. God's life has come into me and suddenly I feel 
feel as though I, I have a, a conscience about certain things. I never used to have a conscience about. Why? It's dividing. It's dividing. It's dividing. It's separating between the life of God and the life of the flesh. It's drawing us to a place where it's dividing between joints and marrow. Joints are working parts. The flesh always wants to work at the things of God. It always wants to do. It always wants to perform. It always wants to try and please God. Marrow produces the blood and life is in the blood. What it's saying is you don't live from your works. You live from life. When God comes into your life, he's going to separate it. The thing about it is, the problem that I have is this. My nature now is of God. Spiritually, if I die tomorrow, spiritually, I'm going to God because I'm born of him. I still have my flesh to contend with. The challenge with it is I have something called my mind. But for a long time, my mind has been defined by my flesh. So now all of a sudden, my disposition to certain things is not God's way. I have a mindset that's skewed. I see it the way my flesh used to see it. I don't see it the way that his spirit sees it. So what ends up happening is I end up in a state of conflict between two things. I have the best news for you. Do you know what? You are empowered to choose. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Don't come and tell me my life just happened. You chose it. Abdicating a responsibility is making a choice. You get to choose how your life ends up. Let me show you some stuff. This is, I love this. Okay, Romans chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. I joyfully delight in the law of God in my inner self. What it's saying is I've been born again. God's life has come and his new nature is on the inside of me. But I see a different law and rule of action in the members of my body, in its appetites and desires, waging war against the law of my what? Your mind. And subduing me. Who is me? Mind. He's just linked it to mind. The law of my mind and subduing me, my mind, and making me, my mind, a prisoner of the law of sin, which is within my members. What it's saying is this. You you are your mind. If you want to do something, you tell your body, your brain, because that operates in fun your functioning of your, your body. You say to your brain, lift your hand, give your head a scratch, and it does it. Why? Because it's an organ. It's designed to respond to what you tell it to do. But your brain is also gaining information and accessing everything in your world and feeding it into your spirit, into your mind. Your mind sits at this point where it has the spirit of God on the inside of it and it has your brain connecting to your world. And both of those things are feeding in all the time. You get to choose. This world is always going to be at odds with God's design. You choose. I've said before you, life and death, blessings, cursings, what do you choose? Who's he talking about, my mind? It's not your spirit randomly. Your spirit's already born again. If you were to live completely from your spirit, you would live like God because God's nature lives on the inside of you. When you got born again, his nature lives on the inside of you. You have, a, you have the prerogative to choose what's going to give definition to the decisions that you make. Either your, either your spirit or your flesh. I get to live from either one. 
Sorry, I'm rushing a little bit because I'm running out of time. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you, who's you? Your mind shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that I do not do the things that I, that you wish. It's the balancing act that we all find ourselves in. The balancing act we find ourselves in. That's why God's invitation is always be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why? He's taking you back to his original design. All of that stuff that you had put into your mind that gave definition to who you are, all your skew thinking, all the ways you think about yourself as being so terrible, all of the things that compromise your ability, all of those things that make you insecure and vulnerable and anxious, all of those things that give definition to the way that you see other people, all of those things that define ultimately the very heart of who you are, are going to express themselves through your life. God does not change the channels through which we operate. Our ability to think, our ability to feel, and our ability to make choices always stay the same. He doesn't change those. What changes those is what defines the process. If what comes into my life is of him, I will think his thoughts, I will feel the way he does, and I will make decisions based on him. If I allow the flesh to come in, exactly the same thing happens. I'm built to respond to what defines the foundation of my life. I get to decide. You are more empowered to handle your life than you possibly ever imagined. Let me just, I'm just reading you a few scriptures because I want to help you because I know Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, put on the new man who is renewed. If you renewed, it's going back to newness. Renewed, going back to newness. Put on the new man who is going back to newness in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. God saying, you know what? I'm sorry for our times of separation. They've touched you. They've affected you. And they've left you at a place where who you are today is really not my design for you. But I'll tell you what, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan. And if you partner with me and you allow me to spend time with you, what will end up happening is I will change the foundation to your life. You will be conformed to my image. God never ever talks about brain. Read the entire Bible. He never ever says anything about your brain. He always speaks about your mind. Why? Because your mind is who you are. Your mind is your identity. Your mind is that capacity on the inside of you. God sitting saying, spend your time thinking on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? What he's saying is, forget your flesh. Think about the things of me. Because when you spend time meditating on the things of me, what ends up happening is your life becomes an expression of what's, what's defining the foundation of your life. I, I've run out of time. Let me, let me summarize this for you this way. You were created as a spirit being and you have a mind which is your central capacity, your capability as a spirit being, your ability to think and feel and make decisions, your ability to reason and to decide. God has those exact same abilities. You were created like him. Why? Because he wants you to relate to him. 
And so when he begins to speak to us, he doesn't speak to us in our head, which is designed to give us access to and to, do, to give us, to equip us to live in a healthy way in the natural environment. He speaks to who we are spiritually. If we want to connect with God, our ability to do that is going to be very much contingent on our ability to be able to put ourselves at a place where we close off the natural, we close off the brain and the thinking, and we begin to practice what it is to sink down deep and sit and say, Father, I want to thank you that your spirit is on the inside of me. And I'm getting to a place right now where I'm leaving the door open because I want to speak to you and I want you to speak to me. And I'm exercising what it is to hear your promptings. God is living. God is vibrant. He's not in the pages. He's alive. He wants to talk to you about your circumstances and your situations. You are so empowered because you are, who you are as a spirit being has the capacity to make choices. You do not have to go the way of your flesh. Your flesh is here, and I'll, I'll speak about this in the next few weeks because it's quite an important one, because the whole point of, of the flesh is that Jesus has given you authority over, over sin. So although your flesh wants to do certain things, it doesn't have the prerogative to, and you need to exercise some stuff over that. But the point is, where you are right at the moment, you are a living soul. You're mud. I'm mud. I'm spirit, and I'm flesh. And both of those things have influence in who I am. Both of those things express who I am. But only one of them should define who I am. Spirit, not flesh. Live in the place where I become aware of the fact that spiritually, spiritually I'm connected with God. It opens the door to powerful living. Because that's where I partner with God. Everything that you want to realize in your Christian life is going to come out of my ability to be able to relate to him. He does those things, not me. You are never going to find your deliverance, your healing, your provision in the words of God. You're going to find what it is you're looking for when you get to the word of God. The living word. Anything that you're looking for in your life today, my encouragement to you is this. Sometimes you already know what the Bible says. You know what the words say. That's a good thing. You should keep doing that. But once you've got that, basically I would dedicate more time to prayer because what you want to do is you want to connect with the living word. You want to connect with God himself. That's with power source. Okay, let's close our eyes. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you, you loved us so much, you created us like you. That's what every child wants to say, every dad wants to hear. I want to be like dad. You've created us to be like you. I thank you, Father, for our, our spiritual capacities. I thank you that when you built us, you built us as a living soul that is both spirit and natural. I want to thank you that you'd build us that way intentionally because you wanted to relate to us as we journeyed through life, to connect with us at the deepest parts of who we are, to be able to speak to us and hear our voices, to relate to us and have influence in all that we do. I thank you, Father, that as we move forward right now, I just pray that your spirit becomes overtly alive to each person today. I pray, Father, that as they set aside time to practice connecting with you, I want to thank you that you meet them in that place.
Holy Spirit, I ask that you just guide people and lead them so that they begin to understand and walk into what it is to be able to relate and connect to you, spirit to spirit. Help us, Father, to get outside of the flesh, outside of those things that may inform us of God, but never connect us to God. I thank you for your life inside of us. And I thank you for your spirit that resides inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.